Welcome to the new Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Tamika Perry and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now, here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Tamika Perry. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have you on board. Dr. Tamika Perry is on special assignment today, and we're delighted to welcome as her guest guest host, Olivia Rahman. Olivia works at WellMed at 9th Avenue Clinic in St. Petersburg, Florida. She earned her nursing degree at Florida State University in Tallahassee, earned her master's degree in nursing at the University of South Florida in Tampa, and she is board certified in family practice as a nurse practitioner. As a kid, Olivia was a show singer. She participated in competitive show choir, and she still sings. She is the proud mama of two fur babies, a yellow lab and a golden retriever, and she grew up in the north, the great state of Michigan, and had the good sense of moving to Florida, where it rarely snows. But occasionally, uh, you get a lot of rain and hurricanes, so uh, I guess it's a (laughs) trade-off. Olivia, thanks for being with us. Oh, you're welcome, Ron. Good to be here. And it was real cold here this past weekend, just so everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, I saw that uh, during that playoff game, Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers uh, versus the Cowboys. Oh, man. Yeah. We Maybe let's not talk about that. <laughs> we won't it go was there a, today. <laughs> it was a sad day for that quarterback, uh, the Buccaneers that called guy. Tom Brady. <laughs> that one We're guy. We're going to talk about palliative care. And delighted to welcome as our special guest, Dr. Samantha Erb. She's at the Optum Tyrone Clinic in St. Petersburg. Earned a medical degree from Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. She completed her residency at Northside Hospital in St. Petersburg, Florida. Dr. Erb is a member of the American College of Physicians. She's board certified by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Osteopathic Board of Internal Medicine. And uh, once again, Dr. Erb, it is great to talk with you. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you, too. You said that uh, you'd be interested in talking about palliative care. And while more and more folks are hearing the term, I think more and more folks don't understand it as yet. So when I say palliative care, what does that mean? Palliative care is care that is focusing on preventing and relieving suffering in a lot of different diseases that you might have. Um, Their caretakers are supporting the best quality of life in any patient that has a serious diagnosis. That could be cancer, that could be emphysema, could be any number of things. Uh, And it includes, in addition to yourself as a PCP, a primary care provider, a team of physicians, does it not, who are trained, some board certified in palliative care? It does. There's uh, physicians that are certified in palliative care. The palliative care team tends to also include, you know, a lot of different disciplines as well. There can be nurses, social work, nutritionists, chaplains, even more people that are involved in making sure that patients are getting, you know, the care that's going to give them the best quality of life that we can. And and when you're in palliative care, are you in an institution, in a hospital, in a nursing home, or can you be in your own home as well? That's one of the great things about it is it really can be anywhere. I have patients that get palliative care at home. When I worked in the hospital as a resident, we worked closely with the palliative care team in the hospital, and they can follow patients who are in nursing homes and facilities as well. So what is it, uh, Olivia, about 
palliative care uh, that makes a difference for patients? So it really is just looking at what we can do to improve quality of life in these patients with serious illnesses. Um, Then that can be stress management, pain management, um, just coping skills with their you know, serious illness. Sometimes people get referred to palliative with a new diagnosis of like cancer or say really bad diabetes, something like that. It's just an extra layer of support, really. Uh, and, and how does it differ as we think about palliative care, uh, uh, Dr. Erb, with hospice care? You know, there is some overlap. There's, you know, people can get palliative care as well as hospice. Um, Hospice care is really focused on end-of-life care. It's patients who have an illness that it's, you know, either not possible to cure at this point or the patient no longer wants to pursue treatments that might cure it. They want to instead focus on being comfortable. Palliative care can happen, you know, along that time or it can happen at the same time as as treatments that are curative. So while hospice care would be instead of, say, chemotherapy for cancer, there's nothing that says you can't get palliative care at the same time. And one difference that uh, I think comes to mind would be uh, with palliative care, uh, there is an opportunity to improve your health and, and to not necessarily get 100% better, uh, but to keep on with your quality of life. And, and with hospice, uh, you're looking at end of life. Correct. Hospice care is focusing on during the end of life ensuring that you have as much quality as you can, Uh, but it's not focusing on quantity of life at that point versus palliative care can happen at the same time as all of your other treatments. You can still look at cancer treatment. You can still work on fixing your diabetes or improving your respiratory status with your emphysema while working on palliative care to be comfortable. So hospice is more of an either or palliative you can do at the same time. For those of you who may have just joined us, you're listening to Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our special co-host today, Olivia Rahman, nurse practitioner. She's filling in for Dr. Tamika Perry, and we're talking on our Docs in a Pod hotline from deep in the state of Florida with Dr. Samantha Erb. She's at the Optum Tyrone Clinic in St. Petersburg, and we're talking about exactly what is palliative care. And when you think about palliative care, Dr. Erb, uh, uh, can you self-refer? Can you say to your doctor, hey, I think I want palliative care? I don't see why not. Palliative care is covered by Medicare. It's covered by Medicaid and um, VA and it's a lot of private insurances, depending on the circumstances. Um, it's something that I definitely think patients should ask their primary care doctors about. Um, it's underutilized in a lot of circumstances, and it can be a big help to patients that just need a little bit more support and making sure that they're comfortable and have the quality of life that they want at any point in time. As a a PCP, uh, obviously you're quite knowledgeable about palliative care uh, and you don't hesitate to refer people into that program. Is it more training and education needed for PCPs generally to get them to recommend palliative care? You know, I think it's something that people aren't super familiar with. Um, Even in the medical setting, people are very familiar with hospice. People aren't as familiar with palliative care and how it can be utilized at the same time as curative medicines. But it's something I really hope grows and, you know, gets more traction and becomes more familiar to people because it's a good tool for um, us primary care providers to help serve our patients. And it's a 
great tool for the patients to have available as well. Now, you had mentioned that as a resident, uh, you work very closely with physicians trained in palliative care. What is that training they get that goes beyond what you ordinarily would have? Um, There's a fellowship that you can take um, after you finish your residency in internal medicine or family medicine, pediatrics as well, I believe. And so that's uh, after you finish your training after, so you do medical school, then you do a residency, which is usually about three years. There's another year-long training in palliative care that can happen after that, that gives those physicians that extra knowledge and abilities to help with everything. And is that a growing specialty? I am not sure. That's a great question. I hope so. And you hope so. Why? Um, Because it's, like I said before, just a great resource for patients to have. I think it's underutilized. I think that at any point in time, patients can benefit from people that can work on their quality of life and preventing suffering that can happen a long times of any other treatment that you're having. So I hope it becomes more mainstream and something that's more accessible to everyone. Olivia? Yeah, before I uh, became a nurse practitioner, I worked in the pediatric hospital here in St. Pete. And we, along with physicians who are trained in palliative care, we had nurses who had taken special courses as well. So some of our nurses on the floor were specialized in palliative care. So it definitely seems like it's growing because it was not something I had really known about until I was working in the hospital as well. And do you find yourself referring patients for palliative care? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, It's especially helpful for our patients who do have chronic serious illnesses and are homebound. Um, So they might be patients that we want to see, you know, or have eyes laid on a little bit more often, but they have a hard time getting into the office. It's great to utilize a palliative care team who can go out to their home and see any gaps in their, you know, treatment and comfortability levels or things at home that they just might need help with. So they make house calls? Sure do. That's part of uh, our, I know WellMed does a palliative care program and I'm sure Optum has something similar. And when you go into a home, Dr. Herb, I'm sure you have done that from time to time. Uh, Physicians who do that tell me they see a whole different side of their patient and their families. Absolutely. Um, I haven't had the chance to do that very much, but I know physicians and I know nurses that do a lot of home care And it really gives you a lot of insight into what people's life is like day to day and things that you don't think to address in the office sometimes. And Um, patients who come into the office, uh, I don't know how else to put it, are on their best behavior. Exactly. And sometimes in the office, we don't have, you know, the same challenges that you have at home, you know, just in terms of mobility, in terms of, you know, you know, we're not worried looking at how can you prepare your lunch when you're at your office visit. And so we can see things like that. How are you able to navigate around your house? How are you able to function in your day-to-day life? And that's nice when we can have, you know, a provider at your house who can help you look at those things. Yeah, I've talked to physicians who've made house calls who will say they'll, uh, with the permission of the resident, open a refrigerator and there's no food. Exactly. You're shaking your head yes there, uh, Olivia. Yeah, that's definitely happened to um, some of the providers here. We, you know, you don't realize what a patient's going through because they might not be so forthcoming about things like food scarcity when they're at their office visit. But doing a house visit is definitely a little bit more eye-opening. And are they embarrassed to mention it uh, for a patient? They don't want to tell you how bad things are. 
I'm sure some of it can be related to embarrassment and some of it's probably patients thinking that we can't really do anything to help them with that. So why would they tell us perhaps? And what can you do to help them? Well, there's a lot of programs um, through insurance, Meals on Wheels, um, WellMed does home delivery for patients who are in need, um, and then just helping find maybe food pantries or, you know, things like that. Stay with us. Both of you will come right back. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. Filling in today for Dr. Tamika Perry is nurse practitioner Olivia Raman, and we're talking on our Docs in a Pod hotline down in the state of Florida with Dr. Samantha Erb. She's at the Optum Tyrone Clinic in St. Petersburg, Florida. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. Hi, it's Drew Pearson for my friends at WellMed. As a Hall of Famer, I love it when a quarterback and receiver have a great connection. You can be part of a great connection too. Connecting WellMed's high-quality health care with the highest-rated Medicare Advantage plan helps you focus on staying healthy. Call 210-436-6005 or visit wellmedhealthcare.com slash connect. Drew Pearson is a paid spokesperson. Other plans are accepted. For full enrollment details, visit medicare.gov. We're so pleased you're sticking with us right here on Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron with our co-host today, Olivia Raman, a nurse practitioner. We're talking with Dr. Samantha Erb. She's a physician at the Optum Tyrone Clinic in St. Petersburg, Florida. And we've been talking about exactly what is palliative care and, and what do you get out of it. And when you think about palliative care, uh, Dr. Erb, it's, it's an opportunity to help not only the patient, but I'm assuming their family as well. Absolutely. It helps with, you know, talking to patients and their families about goals of care. That means helping patients decide exactly what they want in terms of treatment, because sometimes that gets really complicated. Um, All treatments come with side effects and some patients are more okay with some than others. Palliative care is really good at talking to patients and their families about treatment goals, what they want and what they're willing to do to get what they want. And very often those treatment goals Uh, may not be what the doctor thinks that patient wants. True. And sometimes, especially at the first visit, you know, it's hard to, for patients, you know, say if their first patient with a specialist, it's hard for patients to say that, you know, they're not want to do everything or maybe admit that they don't quite know what do everything is. And palliative care can really help with that and help make sure that we're doing things that are for patients and not just to our patients. And that brings us to the advanced directives and preparing for end of life, which is also part of understanding what you need when it comes to palliative care. Talk to us a little bit about advanced directives and how important they may be. I think advanced directives are really important. It's hard to talk about. Um, It's hard to have those kind of conversations with your family and your friends about, you know, what would happen in that kind of, you know, in that end of life scenario. But it is much easier to talk about when things are calm and things aren't happening and you aren't in a bad place. And that also makes it so much easier for your friends and family in that scenario that they have to make decisions for you, that they know what you want, they know what your values are, and they make sure that they're making decisions that respect that. When we say the various options one has as you approach end of life, what are some of the issues that are covered in an advanced directive? 
Um, some of the things that are covered in advanced directive, first off might be code status. That means, you know, if your heart were to stop, if you were to not be able to breathe on your own, would you want resuscitation to bring you back? That means, would you want CPR? Would you want chest compressions? Would you want um, intubation to be put on a breathing tube? Would you want, you know, electric shocks to try to bring your heart back? And, you know, those are all things that we can do. Um, as you might've seen on the NFL game a couple of weeks ago, sometimes it works. And when it works, that's fantastic. But um, there's, you know, repercussions of all of that. And that's not necessarily what everyone wants. Um, after code status, there's things like, would you want a feeding tube if you weren't able to eat on your own? Um, if you were to be on a breathing machine, would you want that to be indefinite? Would you want be okay with the breathing tube to help you breathe? And, you know, would you want chemotherapy? Would you want dialysis? These are all things that it's hard to talk about, but it's good to talk about in advance instead of in a scenario where it's an emergency. And, and most of us, uh, Olivia, are not knowledgeable enough to understand what those decisions are all about. Uh, as a PCP and as a nurse practitioner, can you help people make those choices? Um, so we can help, you know, lead patients in the direction to make the choices. Um, it's something we talk about at least annually, you know, advanced directives and making sure everybody has, you know, their paperwork filled out or at least have talked about it with their family. Because not, I know earlier we were talking about how sometimes treatment goals differ between primary care or, you know, care team and patient, but also those things can differ between family and the patient. Um, so family might want one thing for, say, your father, but your father might not want those things. Um, That's so an important point yeah, because part of that process uh, is selecting someone uh, uh, who should have a medical power of attorney. And, and Dr. Erb, who should that person be? That person should be somebody that you trust to follow your wishes and that you can have the open communication about now and tell them all the things you want and trust that in the event that you weren't able to make decisions on your own, they would make decisions not that they want to do for you, but that they know you would want if you could decide at that time. And one of the things I remember talking to you off the air uh, is if you select someone to have your medical power of attorney, you ought to let them know. That sounds simple, but yes, absolutely. I ran into a couple scenarios when I was a resident where a patient had made somebody their power of attorney at some point in the past, didn't know about it or sorry, um, didn't tell that person about it. And that was just a very awkward thing for the power of attorney to find out as well as the patient's family to find out that some other individual was their power of attorney. So you um, make that call and you say, Mr. Jones, uh, my patient, Mrs. Smith, has designated you as their medical power of attorney. Uh, she's lying here in a coma. Should we unplug her? And the that's person not a says- surprise call anybody wants. I'm sorry? That's not a great surprise phone call. No, it's not. And and you've been in that situation. What do people tell you? Um, this gentleman, you know, was like, wait, are, are you sure you, I'm the power of attorney? And unfortunately, we had the paperwork. We were sure. Um, he turned out to be very nice. He worked with the family, talked to them about what they would want, um, you know, what they knew he would want. And it all it all worked out in the end that we were able to make decisions for this gentleman's benefit, but it wasn't the best scenario. So I definitely would recommend 
talking to your talking to your whoever it is you want to be their power of attorney, making sure that you're on the same page and making sure that they're okay with having that responsibility. Now, the shorthand we talk about is DNR, do not resuscitate, but there's a whole lot more involved, right? Yes, sir. Uh, do not resuscitate means just that. It means that, you know, if you are to die, basically, if you're to not have a heartbeat, if you can't breathe on your own, do you want people to try to bring you back? Now, if you make it, if you are a do not resuscitate, that does not mean that your doctors and your care team are going to stop trying to take care of you. We're still going to do everything we can to prevent that from happening. It just means that if your heart does stop, we're not going to do all those heroic measures to bring you back. But they the need to know. Sorry, the advanced directive covers a lot more than the code status. It covers all the other things we talked about, like advanced treatments, um, how long you'd want to be on machines and things like that. I can remember years ago, uh, a, a co-worker in my wife's office hit the floor, heart stopped. They had an intern his first day on the job who was the only one who knew CPR. They brought the guy back. Gary was his first name. Uh, EMS came. They uh, uh, resuscitated him further, took him to the hospital, resuscitated him several times, uh, and he survived. In the meantime, uh, the office called his daughter to say what happened. And she said, but he's got a DNR. You're not supposed to bring him back. Nobody knew. And that's why it's important to make sure that, you know, the people around you know what you want and know your code status. I know in the state of Florida, the do not resuscitate form comes with a little wallet card that you can carry with you. Um, and it's good to know, you know, make sure that people around you know that that's what you wouldn't want if that's the case. That's a really good point uh, because EMS, when they come out, uh, they're going to try to bring you back. They're going to try to get that heart going. Unless they have, you know, firm knowledge that that's not what you want. So right. um, it's called a, it's on this golden piece of paper here in Florida. I'm not sure about Texas. Um, we recommend patients put it in the fridge, something that's going to be really visible, um, as well as the wallet card and making sure family members know about it. So they're able to tell EMS if that should happen. The other thing I, I heard you say as we were talking about this is in the case of that uh, Chicago Bears football player, Hamlin, who was brought back, a medical team, it turns out, are at every single professional football game. Uh, they got him going again in about 10 seconds. But, but I think I've read that even if they get you going again, the odds of surviving are not great. And that's true. I, I don't have the percentage in front of me right now, but the odds of surviving a cardiac arrest, especially out of the hospital, and especially if a defibrillator isn't available, are not great. Um, Mr. Hamlin was very fortunate. He's a healthy individual before this happened. He was surrounded by people that knew what they were doing, and a defibrillator got to him incredibly quickly. Um, that's there's a recent example. Elvis Presley's daughter recently died after suffering cardiac arrest. Exactly. And this is my plug that, you know, while it's not a guaranteed success and it's not something that everybody wants. I do recommend that everyone listening get um, certified in CPR. Um, it might not save a life, but you never know when it could. How difficult is it to perform CPR? Um, really not too tricky. Um, it's something you can learn in a class that you take in a day or two. Um, biggest part is just, you know, learning about how to do the chest compressions and where and there's some timing to it, but it's not hard. It's something just about anybody can learn. And I really would encourage it. And I keep reading that when you do the chest 
uh, compressions correctly, you may break a rib or two. That is true. But that's, you know, if it's breaking a rib or two or not starting your heart back, there's an easy choice if that's what you, if you want to be brought back. I'll take and then there's a, a device you mentioned and uh, Olivia Rahman, uh, I'm sure they're in every medical clinic across the country, including yours. That's an AED, an automatic device. Yeah, so not only are they in medical uh, clinics, but you'd probably be surprised that to know they're usually everywhere. I know like malls have them. Um, sometimes just simple stores might have them. Um, I'm sure like a Target or a Publix would have one as well. So How easy are again, they to use? Um, say, so same thing. I would recommend, like Dr. Herb said, taking a CPR class because they'll also teach you how to use one of those. Um, if you're ever in a situation where you're doing CPR um, and they have one available, that's a great thing to learn. It's pretty self-explanatory. Usually you turn it on and it kind of gives you um, instructions, but knowing how to put the pads on in the right spot is, you know, something you have to learn as well. Well, I thank both of you for being with us and Dr. Samantha Herb, Optum Tyrone Clinic in St. Petersburg, Florida. Thanks so much. Appreciated the chance to talk with you. Thank you for having me. And thank you to Olivia Rama and our guest co-host today, filling in for Dr. Tamika Perry. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us today on Docs in a Pod. Executive producers for Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Isaac Wilker. And associate producers are Natalie Ibarra and Maurice Hudson. Thank you for listening to Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure and tune in next week for another edition of Docs in a Pod with Dr. Tamika Perry and Ron Aaron.